Nobody questions things in this country anymore. Nobody wants to rock the boat. It's all bullshit, folks. It's all bullshit, and it's bad for you. But we believe them because they're pounded into our heads from the time we're children. Children should be taught to question everything, to question everything they read, everything they hear. Welcome to Question Culture with Brian and Lornette. On each episode, Lornette and I discuss and question conventional wisdom about a topic we believe is important. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Q Culture. It's Q-U-E-C-U-L-T-U-R-E. There we share the links to the documentaries, articles, and books we reference on each episode. On today's episode, we will be discussing modern white supremacy. How's it going, Lornette? Hey, Brian. Hello, everybody. Uh, Shout out to our listeners. Uh, Thanks for um, rocking with us. Uh, for these uh, almost uh, two and a half years. So kudos to you, Lornette Vestal, he, him, bad motherfucker, uh, since I know people hate the pronouns, uh, despite it being part of the English <laughs> language and always being part of the English language. But now all of a sudden, pronouns get a bad rap when it's something we all learn in third grade. But what can you do? Uh, you can check me out on Twitter at EvolvingManLBV. Uh, you can check me out on Instagram, Facebook, Lornette Vestal. And uh, for a deep dive into uh, some of the topics we talk of, speak about on Question Culture and other contributors, you can check out the Evolved Man Project or Um And it's also home to the Question Culture Podcast. And if you really like the Question Culture Podcast, give us a, a like or review on um, Spotify, Google, Apple, all where you can find podcasts. We're on different uh, sites. Or you can just go to Evolving Man Project and give me some give me some hits and uh, check out the latest episodes of Question Culture there. And last but not least, as always, you can check out my debut novel with my lovely wife, Bernita Haynes, uh, The Faders and Alphas series, book one, Eve and the Faders, and book two, I and Alphas. Uh, so what wonderful topic are we discussing today, Brian? <laughs> yeah, so... Um... Normally on the podcast, we focus on history because um, you have to, you know, understand uh, where you came from to know where you are. Um, but as we always mention, uh, history rhymes. It doesn't necessarily repeat. So it is important once you got that foundation of history to kind of look at where you're at and see what's different. Um, so we figured we wanted to do an episode kind of talking because, you know, racism has evolved and changed. It's not exactly the same as it was in the 60s or in the 1800s. Uh, we figure it'd be a good idea uh, to talk about what's going on nowadays and how what we're going to have to do to kind of fight racism as it stands today. Um, so where do you want to start, Lorna? You want to start with talking about kind of how it evolved under Trump or what do you want to do? Yeah, let's, let's talk about uh, Trump. So my issue with liberals, uh, besides them not having any principles to stand on because it's just whatever the wind wherever whichever way the wind blows that's where their political positions are um but um trump and the the trump era basically made it a-okay to spout um very hateful openly hateful rhetoric we were getting to a point as a culture pre-trump that that stuff and then the problem with liberals is they think that racism started with trump and it's it's really like wishful thinking because any conscious black person will tell you that whether it was under Obama presidency or Bush or just United States history <laughs> as a whole in the globe, there's always been anti-black racism. What Trump did was kind of create dog whistles. And it's kind of like that whole thing documentary they made back in the day, the hate that hate made um, as far as like with uh, 
<laughs> uh, the black uh, Muslims. And that's kind of like what, what Trump was. And the media was kind of like going over like, oh my God, how did Trump win? And how did we get to this point? And like they blame like the FBI, um, black voters. Of course, they, they blame black voters, <laughs> even though 90% of them uh, or over 90%, well over 90% voted for uh, Clinton. But Clinton didn't even win her own. Hillary Clinton didn't even win her own demographic, white women. So <laughs> that seems like Hillary Clinton um, is no one to blame but herself for losing against a shit bad like Trump. Uh, but they blame poor, poor rural white people and even like pro wrestling. And it's just like they were blaming like some of everything on like how did this Internet troll who just all these dog whistles that him and his kind is just out there saying. And now just out in the open kind of is really this open turn because as soon as Trump got elected, uh, we start seeing the rise of uh, anti-Semitic rhetoric and actions. Um, obviously, with the coronavirus pandemic, when that started, um, there were, we saw an in, in, uh, increase in tick in uh, hate crime. And the President Trump at the time uh, called it very fucked up. He called it the Kung Kung Fu flu. Then he called it that. This is yeah, yeah. racist. So just if you got the Commander in Chief, you know, being an open racist there. Uh, yeah, you know, other people are going to follow because, well, humans are stupid and we we follow unstable pack leaders, um, unlike dogs who will just run away if a, if their owner is is kind of nuts. They'll just like, oh, I'll, I'll bite them or run away. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of think what Trump did was he took something that still existed kind of right underneath the surface and then allowed it to kind of flourish above this, the surface again. Because, you know, as, as we always kind of talk about, um, capitalism or the economic system whatever you want to call it is at the root of you know all our societal ills and so we kind of got to this place in the u.s at least by like the 90s where we it, it wasn't really you know you couldn't be openly racist in polite society anymore you know it, it kind of went underground in a way um but it never really truly went away because you never change we never changed the underlying conditions that caused racism in the first place so it was kind of just festering below the surface, and it had been a long time that we had a more, you know, hate-filled leader that, that people who held these beliefs could kind of rally around. So underneath the surface, as the economy, you know, got worse and, we, and you know, the, the, the powers that be, the corporations and the politicians continue, continued to sell off jobs and, and underpay people. So you kind of, anytime you do that, then, you know, hateful um, beliefs, you know, un- uneducated people who, who don't have the means to travel or anything um, can hold very despicable views about our fellow humans beings out of ignorance. And so you kind of have that brewing underneath the surface and, it seemed like it kind of, you know, even during Trump's presidential um, campaign um, is really when it started to kind of, you know, he was using all these these dog whistles, which kind of towards the end turned into like full blowhorns. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but the whole make America great again, that was just like we had this black president for eight years. So all my and I'm, I'm not even like a Obama like fan at all. But it was just like there was a, a segment of the population who was just like, how can this black man become president and the funny thing is like obama was not a threat to the status quo he wasn't a threat to white people i mean the man, the man was half white it wasn't like we get like fred hampton as the president which would have been awesome but not in this goddamn country we would ever get a fred hampton <laughs> president because actually the working class people would be taken care of and we have universal health care and like living wages and he'll probably nationalize all the industries so that would never happen but obama didn't come in there and do that but it was just like 
it was a symbol. And he's like, oh my God. It was liberals were like, oh my God, we're in a post racial society. And I like how that was the, their thing when Obama was uh, seen to be on tap, tap to win the White House. Because, you know, we're, you know, we're in our mid 30s, mid to late 30s. So I'm in my late 30s. So I'm the old man of the crew. But it was kind of just like, it was a, a slap in the face to all the people of color who really just got the right to vote legally throughout the entire country. And in 1964, 65, with the Voting Rights Act, and in all those years when we could vote, most of the time we had candidates, especially at the national level, with presidential, um, it was two white guys running against each other. So it was finally a post-racial society that now that white people were willing to vote for a guy who was slightly darker than the rest of the presidents, <laughs> but still had the same belief systems as most of the, the country's ruling elite or aspiring ruling elites. Yeah, and, and you could kind of see during Obama's presidency that racism hadn't gone away because you had those, you know, the birther movement, which was also started by Trump. Like, hey, he can't be a real American, you know. And then also... Oh, why is not in America? It's like we annexed that country and made it a state. So, yes, it's yeah. part of the United States. And now Oprah's buying up all the tribal land <laughs> to build her, to expand her mansions. You hear about that? No, I didn't. I did not hear oh, about yeah, that. Oh, yeah. She's buying like, I don't know, it's some tens of thousands of acres. Um, and the native people are trying to fight it, obviously. But so beware of uh, black capitalism. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just as ruthless as white capitalism. <laughs> um, well, I, I want to push back on something you said, Kenneth, because like the, the so called uneducated um, people, you know, really supporting Trump. Um, when the exit numbers in, in lots of research post 2016, his largest base was like the suburbanites. It was like people who made a hundred to like three, four hundred thousand dollars a year. I mean, that was like his ma- a massive base. Not say that poor people didn't vote for him. Yes, a lot of them did. I mean, but no, his base I, was like I, the I suburbs. I didn't mean support Trump in general, you know, specifically. I just meant more, you know, when you have uneducated masses that are living in poverty. It's a situation where racism and bigotry. But a lot of but a lot of his base, I mean, a good portion of his base isn't in poverty and aren't uneducated. These suburbanites are are professionals. I mean, you live in a community, Brian, in in the outskirts of Chicago that have like all Trumpers. And I'm pretty sure many of those folks are not just like police officers and stuff like that. I'm pretty sure many of them are like doctors and lawyers and shit like that. So at Sandy Springs, Atlanta, Sandy, Sandy Springs in, in, in Georgia, North Georgia, like in Atlanta, is like super like well off and like it was Trump country. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's no there's no price tag on bigotry. That's for sure. Um, I, I do think there is an anti intellectualism to Trump, though. So maybe not uneducated in the sense of what kind of degree they hold from an institution but uh, uneducated in the sense of being ignorant to history and social conditions because i learned that a lot in adulthood too where again i blame capitalism people's um people's fields of study are extremely narrow right so i mean that so and that's because you need to get a job in this system and so you people you know wholeheartedly throw themselves into a very individualized specific field of study and so you can be very ignorant i see it a lot you know steve my brother talks about all the time in the engineering industry how these people are that he works with are so incredibly smart you know when it comes to what they need to do for their job for engineering but then when it comes to any kind of like societal issue or history you know they don't know anything and i think that's true of 
I, you know, because I don't know, I think history and, and like sociology and stuff, you really don't re- really get any education on it until you're in college. And then there's a lot of people that don't study those fields in college. Um, and there's so a lot of people I, that don't you know, go to college. I think with like 30, right, 30, right. 30 percent or maybe 40 percent nowadays of the population has some college or a college degree. And then once you get to advanced degrees, you're talking about 11 percent of the population. Or less. Right. So, I mean, if you go to. If you go to Harvard Business School, you're very educated, you know, on a, you know, if you want to use that word. But to me, you can still be an ignorant, you know, dumb fucker because that's a very um, also there's there's certain fields of study, I would argue, like business that led, you know, lead itself to lend itself to uh, that way of thinking. Because, you know, as in business, it's all about being cutthroat and, and you know, creating us and them to create profit. So. Um, yeah, not to, I certainly don't want to come across that. Uh, I think, you know, all Trumps are like, you know, just dumb idiots. Um, cause it's not, that's not the case. And he actually had, you know, people in very high positions of society that support him and continue to support him. I mean, we always know billionaires are always looking to fund the next, you know, extremely right-wing fascist leader. They can oh, yeah. they, they're the only class solidarity in this, in this country, the United States is amongst the, um, ruling elites, the rich people. And like Trump was a more of a symbol. So, you know, he, you know, he took the, the economic anxiety. And, and, and let's be honest, ever since like the World Trade Center um, terrorist attacks of 2001, the United States kind of never really recovered from that. Like the 90s was a boom period. And even before that, you had the bust of the dot com, which, you know, destroyed a lot of wealth at the end of the 90s, going into the 2000s. Uh, for all you just... Gen Zers and younger, the 1900s. That's when Brian and I, hey, back when we were born, back in the 1900s. <laughs> but anyway, that was a recession. And then you move into like the, the, the 2000s. And then the, after the um, terrorist attack, you had another recession. And then obviously, Brian, when we were both getting ready to graduate from college in 2008, 2009, 2010 timeframe, you had the Great Recession, even though she just called it a depression. And I don't think we've ever bounced back from that. So what we're seeing in, in post, post-COVID, um, those anxieties are still there. And, and Trump did what he, lots of um, charlatans they call con men, political con men do. Um, you have these economic anxieties and, and you have this uh, instability in, in people's everyday economic situation. Um, they don't have benefits. They don't have um, no social safety net. They're stressed out and you could be like, well, the system is fucked. Or you can be like, actually, it's these people. So he, he was assembled to be like, oh, it's Mexican immigrants. It's Muslims. It's the evil Chinese men. It's the blacks. Oh, the crime in Chicago. They keep shooting each other. If you go there, you're going to die. And that, that's what he did. See, that's, wh- that's where I think the education come in. It comes in is that understanding why things are the way they are instead of if you don't understand the structural nature of things then you just look for someone to blame to lash out so when a strong man comes around and tells you you know he looks official tells you who's to blame for your troubles it's very easy if you don't understand the structural nature of the system to follow along to someone like that and what kind of scares me the most about kind of Trumpism and and the modern, you know, race, modern racist movements and things is we've, we've become very isolated. Um, We're becoming more and more isolated over time due to social media. 
So, you know, no longer are people going out. Do they have to go into a walkable town and, you know, meet face to face with their neighbors and things? We're all at home. I mean, nowadays, it's completely possible to live in this society without ever leaving your house. You know, you can order groceries to your house. You can, you know, work from home. Um, So we're becoming extremely isolated. And while I do think the gen, you know, the general masses, the majority of Americans are not these hateful, racist people. Um, because we're so isolated, the small groups that are can have very easy ways to connect with each other, and their kind of corrupt ideology can kind of just fester unbothered because they just you know meet in their own small groups, whether it be 4chan or you know there's the whole Infowars community. You have Breitbart News. You have you know now there's like news. What are they like Newsmax? Newsmax, and then not to mention, don't forget like the manosphere for like young men who like you know the basically. We would call them incels, but that that way of thinking is kind of mainstream. So you have folks like Andrew Tate and Kevin Samuels and and, and other um, these these you know uh, Joe Rogan types who are just like we got a man up and this uh, be a real man and this, I'm gonna teach you how to date women. But usually they're supporting like very far right and outlandish um, views about how gender is supposed to be in men and women. And you know they all support Trump because like, Andrew Tate was hanging out with Trump and, and his sons and shit like that. So these different um, social media, they become like echo chambers and they can really, really capture the imaginations of people who have been socially isolated or feel like they've been been wrong, even if they're completely wrong. Because like there's this whole thing where I know that there are some white people like, oh, I don't have white privilege. I grew up poor and I live in the trailer park. I don't have white privilege. And it's like, yeah, you might have grew up poor. And, and but at the same token, do you fear that if the cops pull you over, they'll shoot you? Like they might harass you just because you're poor, and cops harass everybody, especially poor communities, uh, white, black, Latino, no matter. But there are certain things that you don't have to deal with um, based off your outward appearance. Uh, just like me being a guy, I could I could walk down the street just fine. But you know, my wife uh, at a, on a dark street in the middle of the night. She's probably not going to want to walk by herself. She's going to want to have the dog with us or be with a big group of people or just not go out at all because she knows that she could be targeted because just um, by being a woman. Now, that world is fucked up because everybody should be able to free move about the world. But that's what it is. So I think has you see certain groups, even if it's only a tiny bit of them, are gaining more rights and things like that, that could seem like other people who have power or don't have power and like they're losing it even if they never had a power to begin with. And we talked about on our history episode how the elite, the white, the people who came together and created this ideal of whiteness made an uneasy truce with poor white people and be like, well, you might not have anything, but at least you're not the slaves or other Native Americans. And they didn't call them that. They called them other words. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you're one of us. You're white like us. And when, maybe one day we might let you in there. And maybe they let in, like, a couple of them, but the rest of them were, like, poor. But, you know, they could be like the overseers and have some power over other people who are powerless now. But they can get their ass beat and shot and killed too. But, you know, they had a little bit of power. So they took that and ran with it. And that's been the uneasy truce between, you know, um, of this ideal of whiteness. And that's how it's been held together. Even though those poor white people had more in common with the black and brown people, even to this day, of poor black and brown people have more in common with poor white people versus poor white people having anything in common with a Donald Trump who plays himself as like an everyday man or Elon Musk, who's like fucking South African. Like he's not even American. 
Yeah, having privilege doesn't mean that your life was easy or that you had no, you know, roadblocks or hurdles in your life. It just means that there's hurdles and roadblocks that you didn't experience because of your privilege. And like you mentioned, you know, there's male and we are in a patriarchal society, so there's male privilege over female privilege, white privilege over, you know. So I think that's important to know because I think that's you see that a lot where like white privilege, you know, I didn't see that. I was poor, which is, yeah, it doesn't mean your life was easy. And there weren't you. And that's you would think that would be something that would unite us, that we live in this fucked up system where we're all oppressed, where so why don't we, you know, join hands and fight that oppression rather than fighting each other? Um, but it, it the isolating communities are very concerning to me on, on many levels. And with racism, what people need to understand is because I do think there there was a general backlash to like you had the, the protest in Charleston, which was completely, you know, festered online in these right wing groups. Yep. And that same thing with, with January 6th. And at, overall, as a country, the majority of Americans were against those things. Um, so you did, you know, have obviously, you know, ever, nobody, nobody, very few people liked Biden, but they're all like, all right, God, after January 6th, we can't have Trump going on with this shit. And there was a backlash to what happened in Charleston. But what's concerning is these right wing groups do not have to be that popular to take control of the government and policy. So like, you know, you look at the Nazis, for example, they did not win, you know, what they win, like it was like 20, at, at final, it was like 30% of the vote. Like it was not a huge section of the country. And when you have billionaires who are constantly putting in, you know, right-wing fascists into the government, and then you just have that small amount of people, that's enough to pull things in a very, very bad direction. So that's why we always talk about in this podcast about reconnecting with people and starting community, you know, um, organizations, because we need to start assimilating as despicable as these people are, it's not going to get any better by leaving them isolated. We need, you know, and it'll benefit everyone to, to, for so to kind of start reconnecting. Yeah. That isolation is a, is a recruiting tool for these, you know, influencers, these right wing influencers, these folks on social media, whether that's TikTok or uh, Instagram or Facebook, and, you know, Facebook is definitely pointing towards an older audience. So um, <laughs> us millennials and older. And then, you know, you have TikTok and Instagram that um, appeals to a, a younger audience. But it's still kind of these isolated young men, um, mostly young men, but like young women, too, um, and individuals um, can get swept up in this. And these folks like the Trumps or these people in these right wing think tanks and um, news channels. They can blame all your issues on these this dangerous other. So you you have like, oh no, it's, it's drag queens are the problem. It's, it's trans people. It's the immigrants. They're they're coming to take your jobs and your guns, and, and they're coming to get your. They're gonna break into your house and steal your wife. It's Black Lives Matter. They're gonna they're gonna round down the street and they're gonna ravish your neighborhood and take everything. They're 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 roving gangs. I like how every like election cycle there's like this crazy migrant camp uh, caravan that that the right-wingers always like to say on Fox News and these other right-wing channels, like, there's so many, it's like millions of them all lining up at the border. They're going to take over. They're going to invade America. And, like, every election, that never happens. And, 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 and obviously, you, get more, you, you have more to fear being a migrant trying to get to the United States than you do, than an average American has to fear a migrant. Like, you most likely that will be put... Is- yeah, go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say that talking point is funny because it only they are Fox News only brings that up during Democratic presidents. Then as soon as the Republicans, then oh, all of a sudden that problem's like completely gone. You know, it's kind of funny how that works out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was the, the, the thing. Also, the dangerous thing about Trump is because he's a celebrity, because people tend to forget um, it wasn't like he was he was he, he only became a politician when he ran for president. He's been a personality in the media since like the late 70s, early 80s. And then he had that show, The Apprentice which had millions of viewers every year. So he had a built-in audience. And then on top of that, he, you know, he got real popular on Twitter and was one of the most followed people when he was on it, uh, besides um, Barack Obama and that dipshit Elon Musk. Although I will tell you this, and they can kick me off Twitter if they want to because it's already sucking these days. Uh, Elon Musk, had most of his followers are probably bots. Fake news, fake followers. But anyway, Trump had that, um, that celebrity. So this gave him a different thing from other Republicans in the past. Like Bush had like Condoleezza Rice and Colin Powell has like the two black people that were in his administration that supported him. And you had black Republicans, but they were like kind of like a quiet minority. Um, And nowadays you have a a lot more black voices openly supporting white supremacy, like the rise of someone like Candace Owens, who, you know, I, I don't know if this is a hustle or she believes this bullshit. Kanye West, he's just fucking a nutcase. Uh, Herschel Walker, who ran for um, Senate here in the state of Georgia, just a, and he has a son that's also nuts on social media. That's like twenty something, and he's always yelling and, and talking about all type of right wing things. And he's like, he's he's part of the LGBT community, and he's like a little, and he's a black guy. He's like all these things that his identities, and yet he's like, I'm a right winger. Um, I guess that's what happens when you grow up rich. And then he had Diamond and Silk. I think one of them passed away recently, but I remember them up there, you know, campaigning for Trump. And he was paying them like $1,200 a year. I'm like, yeah, I didn't get paid any money. They're like, this dude's a billionaire. Like, unless you're going to sell your soul, like, at least have a higher price. But I guess there's a lot of people who are very cheap out there and can sell their soul for, for pennies on a dollar. <laughs> yeah, I learned that in history. That I'm always, the how little people are willing to sell out for is always kind of crazy. And, I don't, it, it is interesting how like all these like right wing news outlets, they can always, you know, they'll always be sifting through the population to try and find, you know, that one black person who will parrot racist talking points just to, you know, to validate it in some way. And I do have that same thought. I always wonder with people like Candace Owens, like, do you believe this shit or it's just completely a hustle? And like, if it is a hustle, it's like, ah, it's just the, the, the fact that people can like live with you know doing something so immoral just to get a paycheck is i mean it obviously it happens millions and millions of times it's just always it's, crazy it's quite depressing that it, that it can't happen yeah uh-huh. yeah or kanye west and, being like oh hitler's not that bad like who you're a fucking black man and you're talking about hitler wasn't right. that bad like are you if you were around in nazi germany they would have put they would have used you and then as soon as they got done using it they would have stuck your ass in a gas chamber with all the other uh, minorities and Jewish I mean, folks. And, he pro- and, they probably would have done like fucking medical, horrific medical experiments on him and shit. Yeah, and he's up there like Hitler wasn't bad. I'm like, what? Like, just don't even. Even if you, if you, if he feel that in your heart of hearts, don't say that publicly. And he did. He's just fucking. I think. I think Kanye actually believes his bullshit because he's so fucking nuts. Uh, Candace Owens. It could be she's just like a grifter, and and the thing is like she has a kid. And it's like what. Your kid's gonna be fucked up. And I'm like, you can, like, there's nothing wrong with dating interracially. There's nothing wrong. I'm like, I don't hate white people or anything like that. But it's kind of just like, I know reality. 
Like, and I'm not going to be like, Hitler wasn't so bad. You know what's the real problem is? Black Lives Matter. I'm like, like, yeah, the organization Black Lives Matter is just like a fucking another shitty nonprofit. But the actual movement itself is actually something worthy. And it, like, we shouldn't have that because like at the end of the day, like the cops shouldn't be able to kill people and other white people shouldn't be able to just kill like black people without any consequences. Like you shouldn't be able to kill anybody without consequences unless it's like a case of self-defense. But if you're just going to murder someone just because their taillight is out and then be like, oh, I'm scared for my life, then like, there should be consequences. But that's not what we have. <laughs> I get annoyed too with the black celebrity that promotes that if we just stop talking about racism, it'll go away. Because like I've heard that from... Oh, that, that goofy-ass you know, like, football uh, Sam- player? <laughs> oh, no, I don't even know. <laughs> Who's that? I, I forget his name, but he, he, had, like, he got real popular in 2020. Cause he like stopped playing football and had like his YouTube channel and he like talked to like police officers and it's just like, Oh, I'm talking about race. And like, you know, we're going to have these like really surface level conversations, but I could have pretend like it's deep. And I'm just like, Oh God, shut up. <laughs> oh God. Now I was thinking of like, I think it was like Morgan Freeman said it once and Samuel Jackson, I think Neil deGrasse Tyson even did where it's just like, you know, I don't, it, and, and I get to where they're coming from to a degree like, yes, in in an actual post-racism society, we could look at everybody as, you know, just an individual and not have that come up. But we don't live in that world yet. And so to just the, the sweeping under the rug idea that that'll solve it, that ignores the structural issues that cause racism in the first place. And it's important to learn about those structural causes to try and dismantle it. Because if you're just like, oh, I'm just going to pretend that it doesn't exist, you know, that's like going back to the whole I don't see color thing. That's not that's not going to solve it. And like, I'm happy that these, you know, rich black men were able to move up, you know, that the society improved enough to where they could make it, you know, so-called make it and have their fortunes and things. But there that's still there's still a lot of black people in this country that have been left behind by the black elites and just pretending you know that it doesn't exist isn't gonna help them at all oh yeah no that that just pisses me off because those are people coming from a very privileged background like the dave Chappelle's and kanye west of the world like there is no more racism i'm like just because like you can go through the world and like you know um cops and, and white people see you and they're just like they're treating you all like really fantastic because you're a celebrity i mean that's not the reality for most everyday black people even some black and even like some of those black celebrities have to deal with like some race racism. I remember when they were like they back in the day, like ten years ago, they were floating the idea of someone floated the idea of Donald Glover being becoming Spider Man, and like he got like it, basically he even talked about it one of his stand up uh, shows. He's like half the internet was like Danny yeah, that, Glover. No, Donald Glover. The, the oh, I was gonna say. Like, I was like, when were they gonna make this movie oh, in the seventies? <laughs> they made that like in the sixties or some shit. No, hell no, not then. Yeah. Like, hell no, we're not making Spider Man. Oh, okay. goddamn, Darky. Hell no, no way, no way. But anyway, like in twenty twelve, like that happened with Donald Glover, uh, and he said half the internet was like, "This is great," and the other half was like, "Die!" And just like all type of racism, you know, racist shit came out, and like he was like one of the most safest comedians ever, and like he just was like, I. Yeah, and like that would have been he could have played Miles Morales. Like there is a black Spider Man, means a black Latino, but he's black. So it's like, what is wrong with people? So it's like, so even though celebrities can deal with like funny when people, it's always funny when people get mad about what imaginary characters should be like. 
like when Megan Kelly on Fox News, like Santa just is white. It's like, oh, is this made up character? <laughs> He's not real. Way, like, I know. He's fake. It's like Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, Peter Parker, Jesus, all made up. <laughs> and <laughs> and if we're we're talking about the the structural nature of this racism, you know, we talked about kind of how Trump and then ultimately the Republicans, because Trump pushed the entire Republican Party even further right. Um, kind of hard to believe and blow horns to, to, yeah, to, to fan the flames. Um, that's, that can only happen if you have a left wing or so-called left wing in the government kind of passively allowing everything to head that direction. And that's where you have to blame a lot of this on the Democrats themselves, even, you know, even though they'll, they'll kneel for black lives matter and that shit like that. They've really done nothing to address the structural issues because, again, de- Democrats are subservient to the billionaire class. So they, they're basically responsible. So the Republicans can fan the, fan the flames of hatred. The Democrats have to pretend that they you know, support these causes but can't actually do it in any material way. So what you get is just a lot of symbolism on the Democratic side. Um, but they fan the flames of the racism too, because they, you know, they allow the, these structural problems to fester. And we saw that during the Black Lives Matter movement. How you know they'll paint Black Lives Matter on a street corner and and wear uh, what are those cloths? Kente cloths. <laughs> yeah, kente cloths. Um, and they'll they'll do symbolic things like that. But then they'll turn around, continue to disenfranchise. Uh, black communities they'll increase police budgets that you know that are predominantly kill black americans and things so you you kind of have this two-headed monster where you have these democrats who are like oh we support your causes but not really and then you have the republicans who we don't support your causes exactly and let's be honest with the democrats like they've been ever since the era obama like they've been very good with like um um, identity politics and and tokenism and identity politics what didn't even start off as a bad thing um, the the academics and things like that uh, who came together in the 1970s to put this together is like um, this idea that, that your different identities as a human being um, were connected to different like political structures. So me and you as men, we don't have to deal with like we're, we're cis hetero men. Now those fancy cause words. I got to use my student loan debt for something. <laughs> um, we don't have to deal with the same thing that um, women have to deal with. Or we don't have to deal with the navigate the world the way a trans person would, and you know, obviously, me and you, uh, we're two different people. So you, as a white guy, will have to will experience the world different, a little bit differently, or a lot differently than I would as a black dude. Um, even if we, you know, came from the same class, and then we're part of like probably nowadays the same class background, but um, but those different identities that are part of you um, have political. Um, they have pol- their political ideologies attached to them um, because these are identities that were created out of the body politic. So our ideas about gender, our ideas about like race, our ideas about class, all these things that make up your identity. The thing is that liberals nowadays have taken those things. Um, they've created these like token people of color or LGBTQ folks and put them in like leaders positions of authority or faux positions of authority and in, in obama's position he wasn't a position of authority um and he was only like one black like person in that thing and it's not like the fucking congress is like half people of color and queer people and all this stuff it's like mostly still like white folks <laughs> uh rich white people at that um and then a few like you know 
and and some women, you know, mostly men, but some women cut sprinkling in there a little more nowadays than what it used to be. And like a few people of color and Congress was like two two black senators maybe. <laughs> There's a guy and, in and North Carolina. Has, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and capitalism has a natural filtering effect that only the the sycophants and sociopaths will be allowed to move up the ladder. So even if you do get women or people of color in these positions of power, they've been vetted to make sure they will serve the interests of power or they're not allowed in those positions exactly. in the first place. So it's just like these, you know, diversity and inclusion, but it's really just like tokenism and window dressing and they'll weaponize their identity if you have any real critique so yeah during obama's presidency there are people who did not like him just because of what he looked like and what his family looked like so i'm not saying that that wasn't the case and he had to deal with like death threats and all that stuff um that you know um but you know he's a politician i think all politicians perhaps have had death, death threats but his is kind of special just because he was the first black president Despite being like biracial, but you know they didn't see the white side of him. His dad was a Kenyan um, national, and they were like, "He's black, so we don't we hate him." <laughs> so yes, but this this drowned out like legitimate critiques that any president deserves to have. And if you have a a, a, a so called democracy, like United States, which is not a democracy, uh, but you know if you the ideal of democracy is you should be critical of your leaders, and when they do things, you should you know challenge them, and if they don't enforce the will of the people you vote them out of power so but but nowadays they can just be like oh if you hate come out if you are criticizing kamala kamala harris you must be a sexist and a racist if you criticize pete Buttigieg, who we talked about in our, our previous episode about him being a transportation secretary and fucking all these train collect uh, uh derailments and these toxic chemicals spilling in different communities and he's like oh well this one in east palestine was bad but there was like a thousand of them every year so Hey, shut the fuck up! But if you criticize him, those like you know, you're you're homophobic, and it's like no, he's doing a shitty job. There's still people at the end of the day, even with your identity, you're still a person. And if you're doing a shitty job as an elected official or appointed official who works for the government, we should criticize you. Or if you're a public facing company and you're doing fucked up shit, we should criticize you. And you should like we should criticize you for union busting. Shout out to Starbucks and Amazon. And as, as someone who does study history, it's extremely frustrating, the whitewashing of revolutionary anti-racism history. So they, the the powers that be kind of take the revolutionary history and kind of divide it into two camps. If you're too militant, then they completely erase you. So in that case, you have, you know, the Black Panthers, for example. Um, and if you're big enough and not quite as militant to where you made your way into the mainstream culture like Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr., then you're kind of put in this camp where you're kind of your ideas are oversimplified and and kind of boiled down to their most non-threatening aspects. So Martin Luther King, you know, was just boiled down to, you know, judge everyone by their character. I had a dream, um, but no deeper analysis of, you know, who they actually were is, is ever addressed. And and that's kind of really frustrating. And that and that's where I get to the point of talking about education, because it it is true. They racists know how you know education can have this effect of of making people less racist and less divided so they do attack it and that's why you're seeing this really since trump this boom this attack on like you know they made they they take words like woke and then bastardize it and turn into you know teaching anything that's not about like white american history is somehow woke and then same thing with like critical race theory which we talked about and you know they're i uh um 
I went to look, you know, it's time for like the small elections for like school board and things. And I don't have any kids or nothing, but I want, you know, to live in a society with smart people. So I was looking at, you know, the school board in my area and oh my God, damn near every one of them. I'm against teaching CRT in our schools and blah, 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 which as we talked about on our CRT episode, that is way too of an advanced topic. That's a college level topic. The structure the of fucking racism. law school topic, uh, Brian. That's the thing. Right, right. Like my right. wife learned they about it in law school. They're not teaching that. They're not teaching that. In, yeah, they're not teaching that in fucking eighth grade civics class. They don't even have civics class anymore. They just sit in front of the computers all day and just like learn how to take standardized tests. So, right. So they. So they. So they know they're using this CRT. They're using this woke as a dog whistle to destroy education to burn books to you know they're they're mad that there were some of us in this country that like learned the true origins and the crimes of the country and they want to try and prevent that from happening in future generations so there is attack on types of education to make sure that they're producing you know compliant people who don't see the true criminals of society and it's just another way to divide us and keep us divided yeah and going back to like um your point about whitewashing revolutionary figures and boil them down um, what Malcolm X, it was a, a, a strange period a few years ago where right-wingers are trying to co-opt them, but he's just like too revolutionary where it just never worked. Uh, but they, they did try. And it was really like kind of cynical about MLK Day. And look, I'm a person who volunteered throughout my life and uh, did a lot of volunteer work over the years. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with serving your community, uh, helping those in need and being a volunteer. But how they basically boiled down not only Dr. King to his I have a dream speech, but go out on Martin Luther King's birthday and, and go like, you know, do a do a day of community service. And it's just like, um, Dr. King was all about service, but at the same end of the time, he was like, Look, we're going to Washington, we're collecting our check. He wanted reparations for what happened to black people uh, during slavery. And this was a man who was born in the nineteen, you know, um thirties. Uh, well, yeah, 19, 1930s, late 1920s, like 1929, I believe. So his, his, he was a, he was only like one or two generations removed from slavery himself. So, so, so it wasn't like a far stretch to like be like, yeah, we need some reparations now. And he also wanted like real economic equality, um, not just for black people, but for all people in this country. And he talked about like poverty and uh, economic uh, inequality and how we spend too much money on the military. And nope. Dr. King said, I have a dream, and we all live together, kumbaya, and, and go, you know, paint paint some fences and, like, you know, do a trail cleanup and, like, you know, um, clean up a school park. And nothing wrong with those things. But just boiling down Dr. King's message to, like, a day of service and I have a dream is absolute bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's also important that we discuss kind of the the structural because we bring this up all the time you know the structural nature of racism so what structures exist now and what you definitely have is that black people were never given reparations or even what they were guaranteed when they were first you know free during the emancipation uh, pro- um, proclamation so what you have and I, I think just like privilege not understanding the nature of generational wealth um, can be very blinding to white people. Like, so for example, I grew up in a working class, you know, middle class, working class home um, where we weren't poor, but, you know, I was by no means wealthy. So like during college, you know, I had to work the entire time I was in college. I had, you know, debt. I was building up credit card debt because I didn't have any money. 
And I, you know, I was very poor. I rarely ever had, you know, more than like $100 in my bank account. But what assisted me is because of generational wealth, I had grandparents and parents who when I, you know, had no money and normally would have been in really, really big trouble, I could lean on family members for support. Well, if your if your family has been robbed of the generational wealth, if you fall on those same hard times, you have no safety net to lean back on. So, and that's you know what. So, black people as slaves built this country, built the structures, um, and the or the the not the structures they built the the actual you know foundation. Yeah. Is, you know they the buildings and the profit and everything. Um, so to to not that's why you know black people need to have everyone who's descendant of slaves should be given some reparations all working class people really should but you know let's let's start somewhere um so you have you know and it, it's not long ago slavery was not long ago 150 years that's a couple generations you know at this point it's not it's still having its effect today and then you have the the very real um not even related to the past at all. You have modern day things with redlining and, uh, you know, rezoning districts, uh, voter suppression. We talked about in our previous, you know, previous episode about all the ways that black people are disenfranchised when voting. So you have, you know, modern era. I mean, Lornell, let me know if I missed someone. So, you know, I'm sure I missed one somewhere. Well, you're talking about like gentrification and, and segregation. You talk about cities like Chicago, where there's um, at one point in Chicago's um, history, it, it was it was one of the most segregated. It's one of the most segregated major cities in the United States. And then you have gentrification, which is impacting every major city and every city you want to live in in the United States, where they're forcing lots you know poor people really to like move to the suburbs and just you know black and brown poor white people, um, then forcing them out to rural communities and and, and suburbs. Uh, because they're and in those places, it's even harder to get like social safety net benefits. The few that exist in this mirror in this country, because we don't believe in a, a social safety net, because it's just pull yourself up by the bootstraps, which which is bullshit. Because you can't do that; it's physically impossible. You can't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That's that doesn't even make sense. Bootstraps are there. Your foot is on the ground, so you're gonna lift your foot up. Like this, it's a stupid saying. And we can't. Um you know, emphasize enough how destroying the manufacturing sector of this country really, really hurt black and brown communities. You know, during the 60s, it was very common. A lot of black and brown families uh, had their job, you know, working for Ford Motor Company, you know, General Electric, working in these manufacturing jobs. And as we all know, you know, the politicians slowly, you know, billionaires just took that business to other countries um, where they don't have to pay people a living wage. So the destruction of the manufacturing sector, um, during, you know, the 70s, 80s, 90s, really um, obviously hurt all American citizens, but again, disproportionately black and brown communities who held a lot of those jobs. Yeah, that's why they call the Midwest and, and part of like the, yeah, from all the way from Pennsylvania all the way to, um, you know, you down there in Missouri, the Rust Belt, those those cities like, you know, um, Detroit, um, Kansas Gary, City, Indiana. Gary, Indiana. Uh, Toledo, Ohio, Dayton, Ohio, like those, uh, uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the Steel City, they call it the Rust Belt, and, and you know, salt of the earth people who live there, and if we had a better uh, system, um, we 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 would have re reengineered our economy and our uh, civilization to ensure that those cities would not just be dying cities, um, and we have not done that. But now they're gentrifying them and pushing the people who 
who did call it home out of there. But on top of that, you have um, you, you think about kind of how that great migration is what a lot of black folks left the South um, after Jim during Jim Crow to go to these northern cities and really built that um, help build those industries. Um, just like you know our ancestors who were slaves built those and um, built the the foundation of the country. Um, after it was stolen from the indigenous people. But your Brian, your point earlier, Brian. Um, my family, I, you know, I come from working class, um, low income communities in Chicago and in college and stuff like that. I didn't have a family member I can call on if I was you know, struggling financially. Um, it's part of the reason why I joined the military, because my p- parents didn't have money to, to pay for college um, or pay for trade school or anything like that. And, you know, I saw other siblings struggling trying to make it through um, college, even going to community college was a struggle because it cost too much because he just didn't have anything. And I think about, you know, the generations of folks who, who didn't have anything and the wealth that was robbed for them. And I know people are like, oh, it's a handout. You shouldn't. It's like we've given the Japanese, putting them in basic concentration camps. But America called them internment camps. Uh, we gave them <laughs> reparations. Uh, we gave other groups of people reparations. Germany had to pay uh, the descendants of the folks that were murdered during the Holocaust reparations. So, like, it is it is a way to, it's one way to heal the wounds. And, like, the thing in this country, we're not even admitting to doing that anymore because we're fucking banning history books because, like, oh, if you teach white people that, it'll make them feel bad. And let's talk about liberals for a little bit because that new lady they put on the Supreme Court that they were all celebrating, the first black woman on the Supreme Court, she literally said, Oh well, we shouldn't teach people, kids. We shouldn't teach about history because it might make white kids feel bad. It's like it's fucking history. It happened, and obviously you're not going to teach a five year old the same history you would teach a high schooler, and you're not going to teach a college kid the same history you would teach a preschool kid. But people should have a sense of their country. And the problem with Americans is we always like to say that was so long ago, even ten years ago, oh, so long ago. And in Europe, they have this opposite problem where like they're still stuck. And the fucking World War II and like the fucking Middle Ages. Or I'm like, fuck, fuck Queen Elizabeth. It's like, oh shit, she hasn't been. Or well, no, Queen Isabella. Like, they're like, fuck Queen Isabella of Spain. Like, she was Queen of Spain, like in the fucking <laughs> 1400s, man. <laughs> and they're still stuck in the past. So it's like, maybe we need a happy medium in the West of like, all right, you know, recognize the past. Also, don't think like the. Don't think that, you know, also the Americans are always looking to the future. The Europeans are always looking at the past. And maybe you should have like a more cognizant to look in the future, look to the past and to understand the present and where you can go in the future. So that's that's what I meant to say. I didn't really succinct that very clearly. (laughs) I think I think it's projecting too when they say, oh, teaching this history is going to make white people feel bad because it doesn't. It made me feel good to learn the true history of this country and what I need to do to create a world that I want. Um, it's, I think it's just super racist people who feel bad. Oh, exactly. <laughs> it's just like, like, no, this is yeah, an actual history. Like they, history. they genocide most, most of the indigenous people. They gave them blankets with smallpox. Slavery was not like they, it wasn't like, oh, cause you know, Bernita, my wife was telling me about when she was um, a teacher's assistant in uh, Iowa, she was reading some of the history books they had and like she was like, some of the books are saying that the 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 slaves were like they were servants. 
<laughs> like, no, they were slaves. They didn't have any rights. They didn't have ref- so it's just like they were teaching them bullshit history even like, you know, 15 years ago. And I can only imagine now with all these book bans and stuff like that. Uh, so you can't you can't teach anything about, you know, uh, any type of sexual identity besides like you better just have sex and get married and, and, and it better be to an opposite sex person. And trans people don't exist. And then when you do talk about that, there's, you know, folks being like, oh, they're trying to take us to replace us. I'm like, the LGBT community is like maybe, maybe if we're being very liberal, 20% of the population. That's like very like being just like. Yeah, that would be even higher than I would guess. Yeah, but um, but, but the studies well, proved as like maybe 7 to 11% of people are part of the LGBT community. So no one's trying to replace you and no one's trying to force their way on you. It's just that these folks exist and like they should exist because if we live in a democracy, if we live in a free society, people should do what the fuck they want to do. And now I say not that when I say they should do what the fuck, they should be able to, you know, obviously like, yeah, like hurting people and like, you know, violence against children and sexual molestation and rape and stuff like that. Wrong. But what I'm saying is if someone just says, hey, I, I'm, I'm gay or I'm a lesbian or I'm trans and this is who I am and this is my identity and they're of sound mind. Then why does why do you care so much? Just like you know, black people shouldn't have to worry about like if the cops pull you over, you're like, oh fucking shit. Do you have to text your a loved one and be like, I got pulled over by a cop. Um, I'm gonna have you on the phone just in case he might shoot me because he's like, oh he has a gun and it's a fucking cell phone. Oh they're just reaching for their license and registration. It's what you do when you're supposed to get pulled over and they're like, oh I fear for my life. So I shot him three hundred times. <laughs> what? And what I I hope, like, racism, it it hurts everyone. It hurts white people, too, even though they're on the supposed, you know, winning side of it. Because there is no winning side of it. Because racism was developed to divide divide white and black people so that the rich people could keep running. So it hurts white people structurally. But it also just hurts white people as far as, like, if you live in a society where you're creating stereotypes about people and demonizing people based off that, it's a two-way street. Now, yeah, the stereotypes ascribed to white people, you know, might not show up on the news or in the structural way, but it doesn't mean that it's not, you know, beliefs that people will have. So racism hurts white people, too. And I, I, you you know, it's back when we always talk about police killings where white people are like, well, they're killing white people, too. It's like, well, yeah, that's dumb. And that's just like racism hurting white people, too. Like, obviously, it's works, you know, for black and brown people, but it's still hurting you. So it's still something you should want to dismantle, even if you have no empathy and you only have, you know, self-interest. No, I say that's never that's never the flex that, you know, white uh, conservatives and, and folks who are just like against Black Lives Matter and and just against, like, you got us back to blue. Um, well, a couple things about people like that. First off, the whole... Well, the police kill white people too. That's not the biggest flex you think it is. So then, like, the police should not be murdering anybody. That just they're not judge, jury, and executioner. Um, what type of fucking draconian shit is that? And also, these same people who are like, um, I love my guns, and and and, and the government, if the government comes after my Second Amendment rights, it's tyranny. But these same people are like, we gotta we gotta support the cops and back back the blue. I'm like, who the fuck do you think the police work for? <laughs> They work for the government. Right. So I'm like, oh, so you're anti-government, but you support the police who are agents yeah. of the state. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Here, go CIA. It's like, what? Like, but you're against... It makes no fucking sense. But like racism and, and, and hatred makes no sense. So it's because you're like, all lives matter. It's like, 
Um, no one ever said that all lives matter. Didn't matter. Like that. That's like you know being like, oh, it's like if you're doing like a a cancer awareness week, and someone comes along, and it's like, well, what about HIV? It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's bad too, and we should you know develop medicine to help people out who have that condition. But we're talking about cancer, or if you're talking about like brain tumors, and it's like, well, what about like skin cancer? And it's like, oh, this is a fundraiser for brain tumors and people who need surgery yeah i mean honestly it's so stupid like if we're talking about black lives matter that'd be like addressing brain cancer and then the all of lives matter people are complaining about like a stub toe or something yeah it's just like <laughs> it's ridiculous um and, it, and and the crazy thing though brian is like with modern white supremacy this shit is not just um um relegated to the good old united states of america um the empire no we we spread our ideas you know those wings of freedom spreads throughout the globe so trumpism and 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 white supremacy is is global and been global since the age of colonization but modern white day supremacy modern day white supremacy uh can be easily uh chalked up is the 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 trumpism because there's a podcast i listen to um by these two wonderful uh, sex workers um their name uh jenna love and holly hart and they're podcast is called uh someone you love podcast so check that out on spotify too uh shout out to them and they talk about like they're in australia and like i like their accents and all stuff so it's like they they say they call like uh they call like the, the firefighters the fireies and stuff like that so it's like oh it's so cute <laughs> even though australia has a horrible atrocious history but anyway they talk about like folks clients they have and like folks over there being like super right wingers and like supporting trump and they're like oh fucking god like so this stuff is like international so let's talk about it so in europe there has been a, a right-wing shift um and then we have a we'll little share some articles about it but um in europe a growing threat of right-wing terrorism in a new age of conspiracy theories punctuates the continent according to a recent report but the movements are not confined to borders or seaboards instead the modern far right is currently undergoing a broader more fundamental shift the reports writes uh, this is the New York News World New York. I mean, this is in U.S. News and World Report, and it says the emergence of transnational and post-organizational uh, threat. So, so basically, like we've taken our right-wing politics and exported it because you know we always export crazy shit, and we can look at a couple, a couple of countries in Europe as examples. So we can look at Italy, a far-right prime minister came to power. Um, you have the 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 uh, the prime minister of um, Finland, country right next to uh, in, in, in 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 Scandinavia. That lady um, lost her election to a, a far right wing uh, coalition. Um, Sweden, um, the UK. I mean, a lot of you know you had uh, you had the one dude Boris Johnson who was a right winger. <laughs> And the support of Ukrainian, a lot of the the Ukrainian military and people in Ukraine are are out out and out Nazis. Um, so you have you know the kind of support of that, and you know as always, it's always the fucking Nazis like fighting <laughs> Russia and stuff too. You know, so oh, it's yeah. like not to say that you know everyone in Ukraine's a Nazi or anything like that, but there's definitely that movement within the society that we are now sending weapons to. You know. Oh yeah, and a lot of this stuff in Europe is a reaction to the the, the flood of. Um, refugees and migrants over the years but it's like your though the the european continent colonized and exploited the global south for centuries and now some of the people have the nerve to come to their borders after their homelands were fucking destroyed 
the fucking nerve, I guess. <laughs> and now the, the, the Europeans, the white Europeans are like, oh, we're, we're losing our pure culture. It's like, what the fuck? You guys didn't have a pure culture anyway. You, you just, the only thing you exported, the Europeans exported with colonization, tribalism, where it's just like everybody's extra divided. And not to say that people didn't have divisions before colonization, but we just, like the way they carved up Africa, like the European powers. It, like they just like didn't give a shit about like tribal lands or indigenous people there. They're just like, no, this is South Africa. This is Tanzania. This is Botswana. I mean, like if you look at the map of South Africa, there's like a little tiny country in there called Lesto. That's like right in the middle. It's like a circle inside the city. That's like if, if we had like, if Mexico was like, the Midwest, basically, and like it was just like shaped like a circle. It makes no sense. And speaking of South Africa, post apartheid, you think Nelson Mandela came along and racism ended there, and it's all kumbaya. Uh, a vast wealth divide between black and white South Africans. Most of the CEOs and um, corporate heads in South Africa, a black ass country, uh, mind you, are, are white. And there's still like extreme segregation, especially um, when it comes to race and class in that country. And then you have places that's, like Brazil. That's true in like Brazil too, yeah. where they have you know like Bar- Bolsonaro kind of led like a right you know right wing resurgence similar to Trump. And just like America, Brazil has a problem where you know black and brown people are disproportionately um, in poverty and disenfranchised. So in a lot of ways, Brazil's kind of like America Junior. Oh yeah, I call Brazil the uh, some some Brazilian got mad at me on uh, Twitter because a few months ago I was like. Brazil is the United States of South America. And, and it fucking is. I mean, I've been there. I've been <laughs> yeah. to Brazil. It's a beautiful country. Um, for single me, it was some, saw some beautiful individuals down there. <laughs> I mean, there's beautiful people everywhere. So, I mean, that's neither here nor there. But it's, it's definitely some, 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 some knockouts in Brazil. Uh, but it, it is the United States of, of Latin America. I don't care what anybody say. Because they, they, they try to promote themselves like the United States is like, oh, we're past racism when we're post-racial. And when I went down there in 2006, um, some of the, my friend Danielle, who's, who's local there, she's from there, that's her country, um, they had, like, they like the telenovelas like most of Latin America. They love to, to their, their soap operas come on at night. I mean, America has soap operas. We just call them dramas. But anyway, same thing. T- potatoes, potatoes. But anyway, it was a big deal because in Brazil, which is a country that has a higher percentage of black people there than the united states and it's a big deal because one of the new telenovela stars was a black woman um and like people were like this is revolutionary because we never had like a character who wasn't like the help or an assistant or like a criminal be like just like be on these telenovelas usually they're just like the white brazilians despite brazil not being a white country (laughs) it's a very mixed country it's a very black country um and then Israel, oh my God, the Zionist movement. I mean, you see, they, they've elected a right-wing government in uh, Israel, and they're just cracking down on the Palestinians during the holy month of Ramadan. So, like, coming into mosque and, like, arresting people, beating people, um, murdering fucking children. So, like, we have a whole um, podcast uh, on um, uh, the Palestine struggle for um justice and, 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 and liberation <laughs> to exist yeah, yeah. to this fucking exist so and that's a far right we not yet netanyahu's government is a far right government that's coming to power and eventually what's going on to the palestinians will eventually happen to the israelis who start resisting netanyahu because these right-wingers they don't stop at like one minority group or ethnic group um anybody who's not a fascist is against them <laughs> so that's why we should be against far right 
fascist assholes and not be like, oh, Hitler's not that bad. Because if you say that, you're a fucking moron. Shout out to Kanye. So what are some solutions we can get into, Brian, to, to, to fight against this? So, uh, <laughs> so you know, uh, structural problems require structural solutions. So as I mentioned before, we have to reconnect the, the people within the American society. We're so divided right now. And how you do that is through structural things that basically bring everyone into civilized society so you need to have medicare for all you need to have a living wage even a maximum wage so corporations aren't exploiting their workers um you need to tax the wealthy and corporations their fair share and then use that tax dollars on things that benefit the community like guaranteed housing snap benefits a robust social safety net um you need to do these things because it's kind of similar to, you know, we've talked about if a kid's hungry in school, if he's starving and, and isn't getting enough food, he's not going to be able to pay attention to the lessons that are being taught in school and actually learn something because his basic needs aren't being met. And that's true with adult humans. If our, if their basic needs aren't aren't being met, they don't have the privilege like me and Lornette do to study, you know, structural issues, society, figure out, you know, how politicians are corrupt and things. So we have to have people at least at a baseline of being provided for so that then there's even the opportunity to, you know, understand even these more complex issues. Yeah. And I think another thing um, people we need to do, and we talked about this earlier about the isolation and uh, with technology making us even more isolated. And, and, and it's tough because our cities have become less walkable. We don't have public transportation. So, you know, most cities you need cars in, and if you don't have a car, you're gonna have a very hard time getting around. Uh, believe me, uh, you know, even in Chicago, which is a city that has a pretty robust uh, public transportation system, it still was not the best. And you talk about cities where I live in now, like Atlanta, or other uh, Stone Belt cities in the South and other parts of this country, like even San Diego, um, you're limited to how you can move. So um, you're not gonna be coming in contact with the community because you're in your car. Um, people are very transient nowadays because people have to go where the jobs are at and where they can have opportunity. So you don't have like generations of people or families living in the same neighborhood and community like you did at a certain time. So you're not really talking to neighbors. You're not talking to family members. Um, so even if you, you know, the social media was designed, the flip side of it, in, in, the, in the best case scenario, it was designed to like create communities. And and there have been some folks who have found communities. Hell, I found <laughs> my wife online. So like when I, I didn't just like go online and just order a wife, but it's just like we met on like a day nap. <laughs> we met thanks to a day nap. So like we wouldn't know each other, each other existed. So I did not order her from Amazon. Like order the wife, you know. I know that capitalism will probably start doing that in this fucking this world. Like order your wife. Oh, speaking of fucked up capitalism. So you know when the Ukraine war started, the Ukraine Russia war started. I get these strange ads because I don't pay for YouTube because I refuse to. Um, I kept getting these like ads of like, get your um, Eastern European bride. And like, you know, they were like, had these Eastern European ladies like, oh, get to me. I will be, come to you and you can, I will be your wife. I was like, what the fuck is this shit? I told you, this to my wife. I was like, what? It was as soon as this Ukraine, Russia shit conflict kicked off. I started getting advertisements for meal order brides. What the fuck on YouTube? God, well, yeah, what late level of late stage capitalism is that? Oh, ever. But but also another thing we should do is um, being active in education. Uh, so history is a new race. Um, if you are a parent, 
or a concerned citizen, you should be rallying against these school boards and these um, school elected uh, board members and stuff like that who are banning books. Like, this is the shit that we talked about in our history class about what Nazi Germany did, ban and burn books. This is 1984 type shit, um, which is a book that's probably banned in schools nowadays, so you won't read it. <laughs> so, so we should be, like, totally against banning knowledge because books are knowledge, and that's why one of the things they did to keep slavery slaves in a state of enslavement was preventing them from getting educated. Because if you're educated, you're enlightened, and you realize you see the world for what it is versus what you're being told. You can think for yourself, and that's a dangerous thing. So this is why these right-wingers do this. That's why they uh, spread misinformation and destroy knowledge and, and put misinformation in the place of knowledge. I think it's important, too, uh, for white people. We need to listen to black and brown voices and kind, kind of let them lead on this front. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean listen to everyone. Like, we don't think you should go listen to Candace Owens for, you know, black and brown perspective. But she um, is a free thinker, people, Brian. <laughs> Just like Kanye. <laughs> but, but obviously, uh, black and brown people have a deeper insight into racism than you ever possibly could as a white person. So it's important to, you know, learn their perspective, uh, to see things in a new way. And it's also important... Um, a lot of racism is there is the loud type of racism, but there's a lot of quiet, you know, underground racism. And really, that's the area where we as white people can fight the most. And so that means having conversations with your relatives, with your family, family and friends and things. And and, you know, kind of because I, I do see change when you have loved ones, family, friends slowly over time. Yeah, they might not listen to you, but if you keep discussing these issues it'll at least you know hopefully broaden their their perspective a little bit um so it's important to do that because nobody nobody else you know you're their friends and family so you know you're the person who's in the position to do things like that um and then also just an obvious one is we need to completely revamp the justice system on every level <laughs> um, in the courts, the police institutions. I mean, I, I'm of the perspective that we kind of need to burn the whole thing down and start from ground zero. Um, but, you know, obviously we've done, I don't know, three, four, five, six episodes about how fucked up um, the judicial <laughs> system is and how it's used as a tool to keep structural racism in place. Yeah, and then also, um, no, I think, yeah, if all else fails, burn it fucking down and then start over. But, um, and then even, you know, getting outside your bubble. Um, and I know that there's people who travel who are still horrible pieces of shit. Shout out to Steve Bannon. Um, but for me, traveling um, across this country, moving to different places outside of Chicago, and traveling the world, being able to break bread with people from different cultures um, and hang out with them and, and see, like, what they learn from us and what I learned from them, um, eating different foods, meeting different people, seeing different places. Uh, it can broaden your perspective if you have an open mind, but you have to have an open mind first. So these are things we can do if you, if you can afford it nowadays, you know, we can't, you can barely afford to fucking go across town because shit's so expensive. But, um, yeah, our, our injustice system needs to be changed. Um, we need a new economic system, um, because, the more people are divided, um, the economic insecurities only feed the fuel of that fire. And these right-winger assholes are taking advantage of that and building a base. And their their thoughts are becoming mainstream. And now we have people like DeSantis, who's, you know, Trump is old. So, like, he's going to croak sooner than later. 
But like DeSantis is like in his forties. So he we could technically have him for another fucking 30, 30, 40 years. Or Marjorie Taylor Green, like I don't think she's that old either. So we can have people like that. And then they got people younger than them that's coming along. Because it's like that one crazy like right winger guy who's like in a wheelchair who's like super fucking nuts. Um and he's like in his twenties. So, so so we can have him literally for like fifty more years around. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people I talk with have hope that like when these younger generations that, you know, things will become more progressive. And while that that might happen a little bit, I'm I don't know if it'll be enough to overturn these structural things, because I do think part of the, you know, getting the, you know, the stereotype of like getting more conservative as you age the kernel of truth in there is I think the longer people exist within the system, the more they're integrated into it and the more they, you know, start to work their way up, you know, the ladder of wherever they're at. So they feel like they have more invested in it. And then they, you know, turn, <laughs> you know, they, they become more, like you said, you know, there's the the class solidarity. So when they feel they're invested in the system, then they'll start to protect it. And so I do think that is, you know, definitely happens. Um, so it is important. We're going to have to fight these things and I wouldn't just rely on, oh, we just got to wait it out. You know, I don't, I don't think that's the way to do it. No, we need to be actively fighting against this right wing shift, um, every single day, um, as it goes. Uh, I know on the front lines here in Atlanta, they're trying to build this cop city. We have a whole podcast about that. And, um, I'm working with my, you know, organization, um, to kind of, you know, fight that. And, and, and it's going to be an uphill battle and, it seems like right now we're fucking losing that battle, but um, you got to fucking fight it. I, even if you think the battle is, is a losing battle, because um, even if you lose the battle, the, eventually you have to fight this war. And we can't let these fucking right wingers win. And, and we're not going to vote our way out of this either. So because because like we talked about earlier in this podcast, our, our so-called Democrats, uh, we got Joe Biden. He, he's kicking people off Medicare. Uh, right now, he's the reason why these these uh, people, the cop city can be built, be built because Jim's just like the rest of the conservative Democrats basically are like, oh, defund the police really lost us elections. Let's give the police more money because like the Republicans, the Democrats always join together to give police and, and military more money um, and the police will just repress your own citizens, just like the military is the global police. So so we should be against all these things. Absolutely. Um, so do you have a quote? Oh, this has been a very uplifting, uplifting, <laughs> inspirational <laughs> discussion there, Brian. I mean, <laughs> well, I, I, I will say on a positive note, I mean, there is evidence, of, you know, showing that younger generations are less racist and are, um, not becoming, you know, so much as they get older. And I do, I do see, you could look at it, you know, all this resistance to, critical race theory and wokeism and stuff as as kind of the last dying gasps of this this way of thinking um because i do think i i do see a lot of hope you know in the in in this area um you know as far as like especially like the protests during the you know george floyd at least in chicago um it was definitely you know like a rainbow coalition of you know thousands and thousands of people out in the street you know knowing that this is wrong you know, what's happening with like police violence and stuff. So I, this is actually one of the few subjects that I do see some hope, um, in definitely. I just hope that young people educate themselves to know the structural nature of it, because if you're just looking at as a surface level, like, you know, 
we just need to, you know, stop people being mean to each other. That's not going to, you know, ultimately do anything. But I, I do see reasons for hope on the subject. But then again, that's me as a white dude. <laughs> no, I, I think, you know, like with everything, there there's always hope and you got to have that. But you also have to actively fight. Hope isn't just like, oh, wishing one day we'll get better. You have to do everything, everything in your daily life. You have to kind of make sure that you're uh, working towards that and, and helping others reach that uh, the best way you can, obviously. Um, so, yeah, keep fighting and uh, keep hope alive. And uh, my quote is from um, um, a person we, we both admire. We talked about in this podcast quite a lot. We even do our history podcasts based off um, his seminal work of People's History of the United States, um, uh, Professor Howard Zinn, American historian and social activist. He has a quote, I enlisted in the Air Force. I volunteered. I was an enthusiastic bombarder. To me, it was very simple. It was a war against fascism. They were the bad guys. We were the good guys. One of the things I learned from that experience was that when you start off with them being the bad guys and you being the good guys, you've made that one decision. You don't have to think anymore. If you're in the military, from that point on, anything goes. From that point on, you're capable of anything, even atrocities. Because you made a decision long time ago that you were on the right side. You don't keep questioning, questioning, questioning. You're not Yasarian who questions. So I, what he's saying in that quote, and this goes beyond just the military. If you're just kind of told it's us versus them. And like with my white supremacy, that's all it is. It's like these brown and black and dark people are coming to take this. These Muslims are coming to take take this. They got the caravan at the the, the, the gates. They're gonna take everything. You 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 think you're on the right side because like it's us versus them, or like you know how politicians do. Politicians do. If we expand, you know, the welfare state, black people are gonna get free handouts, and and these poor white people are shooting themselves in the foot by you know destroying the social safety net that they could benefit from because like well at least the, the darkies don't have something over me. And it's like you're all getting fucked. Like if you are breaking unions and shit like that and strike breaking and all this shit, you're fucking over everybody, including yourself and your family. So you have to question these things. You can't just think you're on the right side. You And that's what fascism wants you to do. It doesn't want you to question anything. It doesn't want you to think about anything. It burns books. It bans books. It um, destroys knowledge. It creates a homogeneous ideal about the way the world is. And if you don't fall into that 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 way of thinking, you are the enemy. So we have to be the enemy of these right-wingers. Absolutely. And uh, we'll have to leave it there, I guess, because I either didn't save or accidentally deleted my quote. So good thing I well, you, you <laughs> got the, several episodes where I have multiple quotes. Well, you got Christopher <laughs> Hedges' uh, quote about fascists. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I, uh, I fight fascists because they're fa- uh, not because I think I can win, but because they're fascists. Yeah, so that's, Absolutely. that's a good that's one. That's one of my favorite. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one right there. Oh, God damn it, Brian. You're usually on, on point with having your shit together for the podcast. <laughs> I know. I'm like, well, that's why I'm glad. Usually I have like two quotes. So I'm like, okay, that'll cover the times where shit like this happens. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're probably high right now. That's your problem. Got to stop smoking that marijuana. <laughs> that legal weed in Illinois. Goddamn. Come down to Georgia where we have freedom and we don't can't smoke weed. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Um, but I, I do want to thank everyone for listening. Um, it's always awesome to kind of talk to you guys outside the podcast and, um, I don't know, just had a lot of cool conversations. Um, so that, you know, that's why me and Lornette do it. Um, so thank you all for listening. Um, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Q culture, Q U E culture. Um, you can also visit Lornette's blog, the evolving man project, 
And if you enjoy the podcast, please make sure to give us a like or review or anything you can on whatever platform you listen to. Uh, it'll just help us get noticed um, since neither Lornette and I um, you know, are, are very good salesmen. So uh, thanks again for listening, and remember to question everything. Any views or opinions expressed on this podcast belong solely to Brian and Lornette and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that Brian and Lornette may or may not be associated with in any professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.